Our passage for today is a challenging one. The youth group looks at it on Sunday night. They look at the, the passage for the week ahead. They found it to be quite challenging. And then our Wednesday night group, uh, after dinner, we look at it, and we found it to be quite challenging. So hopefully it will be quite challenging for you as we join together to look at the story of the other Lazarus, not the one raised from the dead, but the one, well, already dead. This is Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man dressed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. Well, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember, during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he's comforted here and you're in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, then, Father, I beg you, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, because this is such a heavy-weighted passage and has so many themes in it, I thought I would begin by talking about bowling. Um, I don't like bowling. I don't like bowling because of a simple reason. It's when you're bowling, they have that scoreboard up above. And yes, I'm aware that my kids have worked at Stars and Strikes. They have facilitated bowling and bowling of others. But I just don't like bowling because there is no way you can fake it. It's just right there, that score. And everybody knows how you did. It's up there. If you play golf, you don't have to tell them what you shot. Maybe they're paying attention, maybe they're not. Maybe if they ask you a question, what are you putting for? You can say, for the fun of it, for experience. But there's always that potential to just keep it to yourself. But you can't do that with bowling. I find life is a lot like that, because even when we don't want to be scored, we get scored, we get ranked. You know your rank at school, you know your rank at at, at, uh, in the neighborhood. Maybe you know how, how your neighborhood compares to the other neighborhoods and how your house compares to other houses. If you're just in this area, you're probably richer than 99.9% .9 of the rest of the world. I mean, just heat and AC alone puts you in that upper echelon. 
but we don't feel it. Because we compare and we feel like our score is written right up there. And to have this, you got to have this. So it doesn't matter how you are compared to everybody else. It's a matter how you feel like your score is being perceived in public. We shape the images we have of ourselves by what we think others think of us. I've known people at the gym who would be lifting weights, and then when they finished, they would take the little stick and move it down so it looked like it was a heavier plate for the next guy to think they were stronger than they were. <laughs> I've known because I've followed them, and I had to go back up like this. When George Jones did a gospel album in, in our church in Nashville, we were the sort of the Amy Grant came and George Lindsay and different ones came and wanted to do their gospel album there. Well, George Jones was there and George's producer said, well, I hope you'll come by and get a chance to meet George. And I said, well, I hope George gets a chance to meet me. <laughs> he didn't think I was that funny. <laughs> I guess it depends on where your meal ticket comes from. But we score. We score with the kind of birthday parties maybe you give to your children, or we score with the kind of gifts that we give at Christmas, and we feel like we're constantly just having our score projected up there. And the way we think about heaven is that at the end, ultimately we'll come, and we'll get scored on the good that we do. And God will go, great, good job. Come on in. Because see, we're taught early on to believe that if you do well, you'll be rewarded, do badly you'll be punished but that's not really how the world works and that's not really how life works and so in this passage it seems like it's a score of where you were blessed and where you suffered and so because Lazarus suffered a lot God as God does in scripture he takes the slaves in Egypt and the pharaohs and he flips them and the problem with that is that sooner or later, when you're on the top, he's flipping them again. And that's kind of what it feels like here. It's like because he suffered, he is being comforted. And because the rich man, who has no name, had so much that he is being tormented. Martin Luther King does a nice exegesis of this passage, and here are two paragraphs from his sermon. He says, there's nothing in the parable that says that dives. Dives means rich man. If you'll notice, one of the keys of this passage is the rich man has no name. Lazarus has a name. The rich man just has an identity, a title. It's how he saw himself, was that image. There's nothing in the parable that says that dives. The rich man went to hell because he was rich. Jesus never made a universal indictment against all wealth. It's true that one day a rich young ruler came to him and he advised him to sell all, but in that instance, Jesus was prescribing an individual surgery and not setting forth a universal diagnosis. And if you look at that parable with all of its symbolism, you'll remember that a conversation took place between heaven and hell, and on the other end of that long-distance call between heaven and hell was Abraham in heaven talking to dives in hell. Now, Abraham was a very rich man. If you go back to the Old Testament, you see he was the richest man of his day. So it was not a rich man in hell talking with a poor man in heaven. It was a little millionaire in here talking with a multimillionaire in heaven. Dives didn't go to hell because he was rich. Dives didn't realize that his wealth was his opportunity. It was his opportunity to bridge the gulf that separated him from his brother Lazarus. 
Dives went to hell because he passed by Lazarus every day and never really saw him. He went to hell because he allowed his neighbor, his brother, to become invisible. He went to hell because he maximized the minimum and minimized the maximum. Indeed, Dives went to hell because he sought to be a conscientious objector in the war against poverty. Even here in this parable, as he is down there, he still sees Lazarus as less than, as just a servant to Abraham. Send him down here with something for me to drink or just a little water. You tell him to go. He still doesn't see his neighbor. He still doesn't see the person. He's caught up in this ranking system, in this scoring system. And it doesn't go well for us. The description is a world of weeping and gnashing of teeth. A great book, The Art of Possibility, Boston, Boston Symphony conductor Benjamin Zander tells about his childhood family table. And they would sit around every evening at dinner time. And the dad would ask, what did you do today? And they would go around the table, and each child would tell what they did. It would be how they scored, how they ranked, whether they got an A in this, whether they got a, a perfect score in that, whether they scored in this sport. And that's how he grew up, that constant competition. And so when he became a parent, he decided to do his table a little bit different. He decided that as he dealt with his family, the question was not what did you do today or how did you compete, but what did you contribute? How was the world a better place because you were alive today? How did you fully engage with someone? Tell me a story about what you offered. He said that made all the difference. And he decided to even take that to his symphony and to take that to his students. He was teaching music students, and so he decided that as a professor of music, it's sort of like if you know band in school, as a professor, the band work very hard, and if you meet certain criteria, you get an A because it's such hard work. So he did this experiment. He decided he was going to give them an A from the beginning because he was finding that they really weren't able to play art because they were so worried about their score. They were so busy about playing it perfectly that they didn't play it well. And he said it blew their minds. He told his students, each student in this class will get an A for the course. However, there's one requirement that you must fulfill to earn the grade. Sometime during the next two weeks, you must write me a letter and, and dated for May, which begins with the words, Dear Mr. Zander, I got my A because. In this letter, you're to tell in as much detail as you can the story of what happened to you by next May that's in line with this extraordinary grade. And so he got this letter back from a Taiwanese student. Mr. Zander, in Taiwan, I was number 68 out of 70 students. I come to Boston and Mr. Zander say, I'm an A, very confusing. I walk about three weeks, very confused. I'm number 68, but Mr. Zander say, I'm an A student. I'm 68, but Zander says, I'm an A. One day I discover, I'm much happier as an A than a number 68. So I decided, I am an A. They were afraid of failing. But he gave them the grade ahead of time, and they lived into it. That's what grace is. 
It's not making a mistake in which you're eternally punished. It's you're given grace. Now go and live into it. Uh, yesterday was the Bands of America competition, and Hillgrove Band and McEachern and Harrison all competed. And I don't know if you noticed that the weather was not ideal for band competition yesterday, but it was a little rough. And we realized that those teams that were throwing flags had a lot tougher challenge ahead of them than those teams throwing those balsa wood rifles. Because when they threw a flag up, it would come down about four feet ahead of them. It made it hard. And when Hillgrove went out there, uh, Hillgrove had several, um, it was about how the weather, <laughs> oddly, how the weather watches us and changes based on what we're doing. And the weather seemed to kind of respond as if it was well choreographed as they had different screens that were changing to the different types of weather that went with each song. And we knew it was trouble when the first one went over and totally shattered and kind of exploded and then the next two fell and adults were trying to hold on and, and people went flying, but the band played on. <laughs> and the image I won't forget is the, the next one, the next scene of, of the weather in the sky and the drummers are just playing there <laughs> looking at it. And they keep playing on. And the judge even got involved with everybody trying to pull the props back so that they didn't go flying into the students. I, I tell you, there's Clemson running down the hill, and there's that moment that was the most exciting things I see ever on a football field. It was, it was thrilling. And so Nate had to stand up and face the band last night as they didn't get into the top 10. We found out later they were number 11. And the way I rephrased my son's words and summed it up was, we played on, we played well, and I will give you the word epic. But it was for all the band kids, because in the middle of whatever challenges they faced, in the middle of all flying around, they played on. So yeah, they were scoring, yeah, they were ranking, there was one through 20 whatever, but man, they got out there in the middle of the storm and they played on. In his wealth, he found comfort, but only for a while, because he missed that life was out in the storm. Peter with the disciples one day sees Jesus walking on the water and he says, you know what? That's where I want to be. Out of the boat and into the storm. May we be in their number. Let us pray. God, give us a song to play and give us the courage to play it. Give us a group to march with and give us the courage to mark. Give us the goal to march out hunger, to end poverty so that people have choices, because that's what poverty is, it's just lack of choices. God, help us to play that song fully and include and bring in everybody you put in our path and forget that score, whatever we think's over our heads, because it's just weighing us down. And in doing so, know grace and share that as people of your kingdom. For that is why we've come, that's why we've gathered. 
And that's why we lift our voices praying as we were taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever. Amen.